Okay, we're ready to discuss this week's Parsha. Parsha's Emor. The Torah tells us in Parsha's Emor, Umake, and throughout, the Torah is like this. The Ishki Yake Kol Nefesh Adam. If a person will strike any soul, Rashi explains it means it doesn't matter whether it's an adult male, female, or a child. A person shall strike any soul to the point where they will, uh, well, they will die, they will kill them, they will commit murder. Most you must. They shall die. So if there's any doubt as to what does uh, Judaism's position about capital punishment is, the Torah in this week's partial dispels it in uh, many places. Um, throughout the written and oral law, <coughs> the Torah endorses, prescribes, demands, and commands the uh, the uh, uh, capital punishment. And uh, this is th- this is agreed to by all that the Mosaic Code, the Bible, the five books of Moses, the Word of God, are in in the um, in is 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 in the pro category when it comes to capital punishment. If you will take a look on the OU's the Orthodox Union's website in their public relations uh, section where they discuss the death penalty, one of the articles they quote uh, the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Roman Catholic Church, the American Baptist churches all agree that uh, that's the Bible's position for pro-capital punishment. So the discussion this evening will be as to what is Judaism's true position when it comes to capital punishment, what's the reason for it, okay, and uh, what's the reason for it, and what are the uh, specifics involved, and what is the practical application. That's the, uh, that's our discussion this evening. And this has been, throughout uh, throughout the years, has been uh, in American history a, a very hot topic of discussion, a very emotional uh, um, uh, topic, and it, even the Justice Department was forced, or the uh, thing was the Justice Department was forced to, 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 to make a study about the, the effects of the effects of capital punishment on uh, minorities and whether it's being meted out correctly, etc. Fine. So we'll, hopefully we'll discuss these issues. So. Firstly, it is necessary to point out that the Torah holds uh, Jewish life in high esteem. Not Jewish life, all life. All life, every human being, life in general, is of, uh, of the epitomal nature. It's at the apex of, of values. For example, we've mentioned this many times before, the Talmud tells us in Tractate Sanhedrin, page 74a, that uh, when, when, one, when one is forced to transgress one of the mitzvot, the 613 commandments which God gave us, which the Talmud tells us on page 23b in Tractate Makos, that there are 613 commandments. When one is forced with losing their life and transgressing one of those 613 commandments, they are all suspended. The entire Torah, all the directives of God are suspended in order for the purposes of saving a life, with the exception of three cardinal sins. Um, those are being idol worship, murder, and illicit relationships where life is not where one is obligated to
to give up their life rather than transgress one of those three cardinal sins. However, in all other cases, including the keeping of the Shabbos, which the Talmud points out for us in Chakted Yuma on page 85a and other places, the Tom, and 85b, the Talmud tells us that one is even supposed to transgress the Shabbos when there is a danger to life in any situation, when the, even when it's questionable that there's a danger to life. The Talmud Yerushalmi tells us that the word person who is the quickest to transgress the Shabbos to save somebody's life, that person is praiseworthy. <coughs> so therefore, therefore, the, we see from these sources that life, that uh, somebody's life, uh, the, the life of a person is held, uh, of a soul that, that Hashem has put onto this planet is very important held in very high esteem to the point where God suspends all of his directives in order that it should be kept, in order, in order that it should not be, uh, that life should not be lost. Um, another example of this is, and which we'll, uh, which we'll mention later, but here we'll mention it a little bit more at length. The Talmud tells us in Tractate Sanhedrin, page uh, 37a, the Talmud tells us, <coughs> that the law is, is that the way that capital punishment happens, and this is one of the details, is you need two witnesses. You need two witnesses. There has to be two kosher witnesses that come to the rabbinical court, and they say, we saw a murder occur. So, so when that happens, right, so, so just like any other court, there are, uh, there we, we, uh, we ask the, we ask the, we, we test the witnesses to make sure that their testimony is sound, and that it is clear, and that it is, makes sense, and that the, 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 the facts are straight, etc. Right? But before we do that, before or after we do that, we, we, tell the witness, we, we tell the witnesses that what their testimony is going to do is very serious. Because it's not just like, you know, they're testifying that, that A owes B $100, and then we find that afterwards that the testimony is false, so they have to pay the $100. Here, the result of their testimony is going to be that there's going to be the capital punishment that's prescribed by the Torah. And there's going to be a life that's going to be lost, so to speak. A person is going to die. So we want to, we want to fill the, 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 the witnesses with the seriousness of the situation. We want to tell them that this is a very serious matter, and this is not a joke. So if they want to proceed <coughs> with their testimony, they, should, they, they, they have to take into consideration the following fact. So the, uh, the Mishnah says, the Mishnah says that that uh, when you when you when you kill when you kill uh, a person when you kill a person you take away somebody's life you're not only taking away their life but you're also taking away the life of their descendants taking away the life of their children and their children's children and all the children that they could have possibly had that's why it says uh, by kind it says the blood the bloods of your brother are screaming out to me. It doesn't say blood in the singular. It says blood in the plural to tell you that it wasn't only Kayan. Not only heaven, but it's all his descendants were screaming out to me, Hashem said to Kayan. Right? So, so therefore you have to understand that, uh, that that's the way it is. Now also, we tell the witnesses, why is, why is it that Hashem created the first man, only one? Why did he create 20 people all at the same time? Why did he create one person? So he says that it's to, to, to tell us that the, that the, to tell us that one person is like the entire planet, just like it's like an entire planet of people. So therefore, when, when one kills a person, so they're killing an entire planet of people. And when one, uh, when one, 
when one saves a person, they're saving an entire planet of people. Therefore, says the Mishnah, a person is obligated to say, right, the Mishnah says, therefore, every single person is obligated to say, that the world, that the planet was created because of me. The same way that the planet was created because of the first man, so too the planet was created because of the, uh, the, the, the planet was created because of me. Everything that's around me is by me. This apple juice on the table is for me. The table is for me. The table is for me. The table cloth is for me. Every the chairs are here for me. The class is here for me. Right? Everything is for me. The shul is here for me. person is obligated to say the world is created for me. Everything in the details is all for me. It's mine. Right? Because it's, it's, it was worth it for the first man to be there with the entire planet just for him. So that's how important a person is. And in Kabbalistic writings, such as the Rabbi Chaim Voloshner, in his book, The Nevesh HaChaim, in the beginning he writes that every single person is really a microcosm of the entire planet. Uh, there are some authorities that, that write that the topography of, of, uh, of, a pers- of, 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 of the planet mimics the, uh, a person in, in certain ways. You know, like, I don't know, whatever, their hair represents forests, uh, etc. But there is, there is a resemblance in a certain way, that the, a person is a composite model of the entire universe. It's, a, it's three-way, actually. There's, the, you know, the temple, the tabernacle, also according to some writings. Uh, if you take a look in the writings in, in Parshish Shuma, for example, the, the commentary of the Malbim and the Medvish, they, they explain how the tabernacle itself was also a model of the whole planet and a, and a model of the whole person. Like, for example, the ark represented the brain, you know, the, with the Torah inside it, because that's, that, that's the intellectual part of the person, etc. So, so a person themselves is, is, is a microcosm of the entire planet. So when that's extinguished, then the whole planet is being extinguished. Percentage of water to, to Earth is the same as percentage of water to any human being. Oh, there you go. See, that was, it was worth it just to come tonight just for this fact. <laughs> to say, how, what's the, now what's the percentage? 80%. 80%. A person is 80% water, and the planet is also 80% water. Mm-hmm. Wow. Unbelievable. See that? In, in the Arizona, it's 70%. It's 70%. Right. It's 70% <laughs> I mean, it's equal in every state, you mean? Unbelievable. You see, a person is a microcot. Therefore, so we did, after we tell this to the witnesses, we tell the witnesses, we say, do you want to go through with this? You sure you want to go through with this? <coughs> so you see, that uh, paradoxically, actually, as uh, Nathan uh, Diamond, the, the official public affairs uh, uh, person of the, uh, of the Orthodox Union, points out that paradoxically this Mishnah is telling us the importance of human life within the context of the testimony of witnesses of somebody who is if still found guilty, we would take away their life. But here you see how important life is. Okay? Fine. So therefore, since Judaism takes life very seriously, right? The uh, condoning, uh, condoning and commanding capital punishment is for a serious reason. And there are three main reasons why Judaism condones, in principle, capital punishment. Number one, as we will soon see, number one is it's to teach us the seriousness of the crime. That 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 murder, for example. Idol worship, the crime is so heinous that it deserves that a person forfeits their life as a result of committing such a crime. If somebody kills somebody or somebody denies the existence of God, 
and bows down to sticks and stones and uh, whatever, right? They have committed a crime that is of such horrible nature that they have forfeited their right to exist. Hashem gives everybody existence. You know, you have, you have, uh, you know how they write uh, when you walk in, uh, uh, you walk into a restaurant. So they say, uh, you know, uh, oh no, you you get on, a, you, you you go to a, a baseball game. And you, you, when you're bored, the baseball game is boring. You're not interested in baseball. You take your children because they, they have a good time and you don't, you don't like it or whatever it is. So you start reading the back of the ticket. You have nothing else to do. You don't have a fancy phone like Dr. Jeff here, right? And so you have nothing to do. Uh, you, you start reading the back of the ticket to read the rules and regulations, and it says that the park... I, I've done this. not a baseball game. I'm interested in that. It says that the park reserves the right Basically, to throw you out anytime they want, right? They can do whatever they like. They can throw you out whenever you whenever they want. They reserve that right for no explanation whatsoever. Same thing in amusement parks. This is this, this is the standard practice. Or the restaurants say we can we have reserved the right to deny business to anyone without explanation, right? So Hashem gives people life. He gives everybody life, but He reserves the right to deny business to anyone He wants to deny access as soon as as soon as they forfeit their rights. In, in, in his opinion, according to the prescription of the Torah, Shalom, right, uh, they, that person has forfeited their, their, their right to live. So therefore the Torah enumerates the death penalty in this parasha and throughout the five books of Moses to tell us, to send us a message that I consider, says Hashem, this crime to be terrible, so much so that you don't even deserve to continue living. That's, that's number one. <coughs> number two is, we will see that death is an atonement. Death is an atonement, right? So the Torah believes one of the 13 principles of faith of, of, that, that are enumerated by the Rambam, which are printed at the back of the Siddur, also printed in the, the Rambam's, uh, in the Rambam's uh, commentary on Tractate Sanhedrin chapter 10, I think, right? The, 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 one of the 13 principles of faith is, is there such a thing as reward and punishment. God cares what human beings do. do. God cares what His children do. If they do the things that he wants them to do, so then they'll be rewarded. If they do the things that he doesn't want them to do, he will do the opposite. And so therefore, therefore, but the punishment is not meant as vengeance from God, it is not meant as, as, a, as an ex- a expression of anger and hatred, but it's meant as a corrective measure. It's meant as an atonement. It's meant as a, as a way to fix. We don't punish our children to, to destroy them, mentally, physically. We punish our children to teach them a lesson. A lesson is always for the future. Teach them a lesson so that they can grow. Right? If they run out onto the street, then we want them to learn a lesson that there are dangerous places on this planet. So we punish them. We ground them for six and a half months. Right? Uh, then let them run out of their room so that they learn a lesson. They understand that it stays, that the, 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 the world is dangerous and they have to protect themselves. We don't just do it. They, so therefore, Hashem also, He punishes, sometimes with the death penalty, but for a reason in order to achieve atonement, forgiveness, for growth. Okay, that's reason number two. Reason number three. Can we actually, I'm sorry, just the punishment for death is, I mean, you... you punishment for what is? I mean, uh, not, you, you don't punish for death, but uh, <coughs> death is uh, for, for growth, you, you were indicating, or, or... Yeah. I mean, for people in general, or for that particular person? For that particular person. It's an atonement. It's a forgiveness. The Mishnah, the Mishnah tells us tells us it's also in Tractate Sanhedrin. The Mishnah says, um, let's 
your page in a minute. The Mishnah says that, if, for example, one of the one of the capital offenses is one of the capital offenses is uh, is uh, is is skila is uh, stoning. So the person gets stoned. What? Uh, stoned. One of the capital offense, one of the capital punishments is stoning. So the Mishnah tells us in Trike Sanhedrin on page forty three b. Mishnah says that when a person is about twenty about twenty feet away from the place of the uh, of the execution, so the uh, the uh, they say they say to him that he should say the confession. Should say the confession. Why should he say the, the, the what's which confession? The confession that everybody says before they die. The confession that we all say before we die. Right? So we say the vidui. Say the vidui. We ask Hashem to forgive us for everything that we have done. So we say to him also, right? So that he should say the confession, and we tell them why. Because any person who dies, or any person who is killed, or any person who is right, who experiences a, a, a capital offense, so it's it's the way to say confession in front of Hashem. Because anybody who says confession automatically has a portion of the world to come. So that's why we try. If somebody is terminally ill, or maybe terminally ill, because of a sickness or whatever it is, we try to to encourage them. And actually, it's a law to encourage them. That they should say confession before Hashem to fulfill the mitzvah of doing tshuva. This is an indication because. The, at, at this point, right, this is part of the forgiveness process, right, as the Mishnah continues at the end, it says that my death should be an atonement for me. So this is actually, even though it ends with death, and we know actually, uh, uh, certainly Judaism believes in the afterlife, and also this is an experience that a person goes through, which is on their, on their way to somewhere else, right, so therefore it's not the end, and it, it serves as a, uh, an atonement process and also a growth process for the person who is experiencing it. I mean, so our full lives we have to uh, uh, to increase our uh, uh, get our neshama someplace more godly. And I mean, how does uh, saying a confession just before you're killed for a uh, horrific crime really? I mean, how does that weigh? In well, the confession is not an affirmation that I believe in Yashka. A confession is a confession. A confession is a serious matter where a person actually looks back at their life and says, you know, in 1953 I did this and I truly regret it because I know that it was wrong and I know that if I would have been a better person I wouldn't have done that and I ask Hashem to forgive me. I mean, that's what we do on Yom Kippur. Why is it any different than Yom Kippur? It's a personal Yom Kippur. Person, uh, person when they get married under the Chopa, they have a personal Yom Kippur. They ask Hashem to forgive them. Person uh, on Yom Kippur asks Hashem to forgive them. A person before they die asks Hashem to forgive them. It's a point of growth that a human being can exercise within themselves and actually change their their desire and change their uh, their disposition towards particular uh, uh, action just by uh, a mental exercise. So, sure, certainly, right? Okay. So the third reason for the third reason for capital punishment is uh, the principle of John Stuart Mill. And that is, uh, that he writes in his essay on liberty, is that the first order of government is to protect, the first obligation of government is to protect its citizens. Right? To protect its citizens. So, so therefore, therefore, if it's rampant, if there's gang violence and people are killing each other, and drug lords or whatever, right? So therefore, it's incumbent upon the leaders of society to create a deterrent for a crime. And uh, capital punishment, as we will see, uh, if, we have the, if we have the time, capital punishment, as we will see, uh, also could serve as a deterrent for, for, as a deterrent for crime. 
to stop to people to give, communicate the message if you do this. Very simple, you know, it's a very simple Pavlovian message. If you do A, then you'll get B. Right? That's the, and that, uh, for some people, works. I read somewhere a statistic, I don't remember what it is, but I, I read a statistic that for every capital punishment, now this is not, a, I'm not condoning uh, American way of capital punishment, at least not yet, or maybe not at all, but, uh, it, you know, for every, every, every person that gets killed on death row, um, five people uh, don't commit murder. I don't know exactly what the test was or what the details are involved, but uh, there is certainly uh, a very good argument to make that it, that it's, that, that it serves as a deterrent. People, uh, I'm sure that people traveling to, through Texas will think twice <laughs> about uh, about killing somebody than if they're traveling through uh, who knows what. Uh, you know, uh, what would, uh, you want to pick a state there? I don't want to be on record for this. <laughs> what? Vermont. If they're traveling through Vermont. So, so, so uh, they, then they'll be more likely, maybe. Okay, so we have a gun in the seat of the car. You have a gun in the seat of the car. There you go. See that? I'm not so starting up. more capital punishment than... I, I, what? I refute. I, I no, they have that on the radio. Okay. That that, there are more murders per capita in the United States than all of Western Europe. Any country in Western Europe, we kill more here, we're more violent. How, and we also execute more people. So capital punishment is not working as a deterrent. I, okay. I object to that. Fine. I, I, uh, I'm not going to take a strong position on that because. I'm not, interested. I'm not going to take a strong position on it because if you, you just you hear carefully, I'm not taking a position on this because if it, we will see, hopefully, if we have time, that as far as the Jewish law is concerned, it really doesn't matter whether it is a deterrent or not. In other words, if it's a deterrent, then good. So then we'll do it. If it's not a deterrent, then from the perspective of matter, then we won't do it. But if it's going to be an atonement, or it's going to communicate a message of the heinousness of the crime, we're going to do it anyway, regardless of whether the terms or not, because the terms prescribes it. The issue is not only if it's a term, but if it is, if we statistically can come up with a, uh, with a, with a study that is a term, we'll do it also. That's not the only issue for us. For, from the Jewish perspective, not the only issue whether it's a deterrent or not. It's three issues that I've mentioned. So, so good, so if it's not a deterrent, fine, so let's not do it. You know, that's fine with me. And it's fine with Judaism. Okay. So, so, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was asked on, uh, uh, five years before he died, in 1981, he died in 1986, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was asked uh, by a government official, it is not very clear, he doesn't say who the government official is, whether it's an American government official or Israeli government official, um, was asked by a government official the, uh, uh, the position of Judaism vis-a-vis -vis the death penalty is concerned. Okay, so this is found in in the uh, in the section uh, in uh, volume Kosher Mishpat number two, in response to number sixty-eight. So this was Rav Moshe's answer. Firstly, Rav Moshe said that I would like to thank uh, whoever this is, governor, senator, uh, president, prime minister, whoever this is. I'd like to thank him for uh, for asking me the question that uh, I want to commend him actually for wanting to know the. Uh, the the, 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 the the will of God, which is given through Moshe, our teacher, uh, explained by the oral law that was given through rabbis generation after generation, through the Talmud and the halachic decision makers, the Rambam and the court of law, Rabbi Yosef Karo, which is the true understanding of this moral issue. And uh, I want to thank him, he says, for having the belief in me that I will be able to tell him what the truth is. 
that I have the capacity and the capability to tell him what the truth is. And he says as follows. He says, the truth is, he takes this position, he says, the truth is, is that the, that the capital punishments, which are outlined in the Torah so, uh, for, for, for murder and for stealing and for illicit relationships and for uh, idol worship, and all these type of things, when people lose their sense of morality and are, uh, are capable of doing, any, uh, of doing anything, that's when the Torah says that they should have a capital punishment. That's when the Torah says that they deserve, they have forfeited their, life to, their, their, their right to live. However, says the Rav Moshe, it is not because the Torah hates, despises, or wants to take revenge on the evildoer. Right? The Torah does not instruct us to act in this way. That we leave up to God. Let God decide what He's going to do with people. It's not our business. Whatever we want to do, that's, the, 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 that's between them and God. It's not our business. The reason why the Torah prescribes a capital punishment for these offenses is to teach us that the crime is terrible. It's a terrible thing. And the only way to communicate that is to say that X deserves Y. X deserves stoning. You know, Z deserves stoning. Whatever it may, whatever the, the, the whatever the punishment may be, this is what's deserved. The Torah, what it was, may deserve. That means, that, right? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do something, and we don't see the results in the in the future of what we have done, right? Until we have done it. Once we do it, we realize how terrible it was. You know, uh, if we say something not nice to somebody, and we see that they're actually embarrassed and they feel bad or whatever it may be, then we realize that it was not such a good thing to do. We feel bad about it. But we didn't think about it beforehand. We, didn't, uh, we weren't able to paint the picture of the reality that was going to, that was going to uh, take fruition, that was going to manifest as a result of our action. So the Torah wants to paint the picture, wants to say that for this, you get this. Right? This is what it deserves. A person who, who kills somebody forfeits their life. They, they deserve to be stoned. That's how terrible it is. That's the emotion. That's why the Torah gives this prescription. However, on the other hand, the Torah wants to also communicate to us the preciousness and the importance of life. Therefore, says Ramosha, the Torah makes it almost impossible for the capital punishment to take place. Listen what needs to happen in order for it to happen. Ramosha says, first of all, we require a, a, a court that has 23 judges. Okay? That obviously that court has to decide in the majority for the perpetrator that they're guilty. Number one. Number two, each one of those judges has to be a Torah scholar par excellence. Par excellence. Number three, each of these Torah scholars cannot have a bad reputation. They have to be known as people of exemplary character of pristine character that nothing has ever, they've never done anything wrong. Right? They, that's what it has to be these people. They have to be extremely intelligent. And, in addition to this, there has to be three rows of students that sit in front of them and analyze every decision that they make. There has to be, you know, a discussion, a, 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 a Torah scholar discussion with another, a panel of, 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 of let's say, uh, 
one tier below judges about every decision that they make. Just to make sure that after the decision is made, that nobody, not each one of each one of the twenty-three judges who presents their own personal opinion as how they see the facts, has to be done. That each one of those opinions has to be analyzed by those three rows of judges, and they have to be sound according to the principles of the Torah. That's the that's the judge. That's number one, right? Number two is the witnesses that come have to be kosher. When they witness the murder, for example, they have to be kosher. These witnesses have to come and warn the alleged murderer at, together. The witnesses have to see, they have to be together, be kosher. That means, the kosher means that they can't be gambling, they can't be doing wrong things, they can't, uh, uh, they can't be related, etc. They have to be kosher witnesses. They have to issue a warning. You should know so-and-so, Mr. Plony, if you commit this murder, you will transgress the following negative commandment in the Torah. And within a second, he has to acknowledge this warning. He has to say, yes, I know, and I understand, and I'm going to do it anyway. If he doesn't acknowledge it, or he acknowledges too late, and then he commits the murder, no capital punishment. Then they have to come into court. Then we have to analyze their testimony to make sure that it's consistent. And then we try to scare them out of the testimony like we mentioned before and telling them that, you know what, if you kill a person, you kill generations of people, etc. Right? You're killing a whole planet of people. Your life is extremely precious. We, just, we, right, we try to scare the witnesses. Not only that, in order for this, this rabbinical court of 23 to function properly, there has to be another rabbinical court of 71 that sits in the Lishkot HaGadah, in the room of the temple, on the temple mount, while the temple mount is operational, meaning that the altar is operational and the Kohanim, the priests are doing the service, in order for the 23 to be able to decide this, this, uh, this, 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 this case. Okay? In order for it to happen. Also, a Bezdin who kills, according to the Mishnah in Tractate Makos, in chapter 7, according to, uh, I'm sorry, uh, page number 7, the Mishnah says that, that, that a person, who, uh, according to one opinion, a, 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 a rabbinical court that kills once every seven years is considered to be a murderous court. Another opinion says that if they kill once every 70 years, it's considered to be a murderous court. Once every 70 years, if it happens, it should be a murderous, it's considered a murderous court. Another opinion says that if we would be on the rabbinical court, we would make sure that never, it, it would never happen that there should be ever a capital punishment that is, that is meted out. Okay? One opinion in the Mishnah says that, uh, you know, there has to be a little bit of a deterrent, so, you know, if you make sure that it never happens, I mean, that's, that's, already, that's already going too far, whatever it is. Right? But so, so therefore, therefore, on the one hand, says Rabbi Moshe, the Torah says a person who commits murder forfeits their right to live and therefore they deserve to die. But on the other hand, life is so precious, therefore I'm going to make it almost impossible for the capital, the capital punishment to take place. That's, that's what Rabbi Moshe says. And Rabbi Moshe says like this. Now, I don't, I don't have the facts. And uh, maybe, yeah, maybe no. Probably Rav Moshe says maybe yes. Right? Rav Moshe says that if you look through history of the Jewish people, you will see that there are not too many Jewish murderers around. You know, not too many Billy the Kids uh, that are Jewish, that, that, that are murderers. Why? He says because the Torah was successful in communicating the message. Because first of all, right, it's the, the, uh, 
uh, the, 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 the Torah communicates the heinousness of the crime by saying that this is a capital offense and that it deserves uh, the person forfeits their life, number one. Number two is, throughout Jewish history, basically, most Jewish people grew up on the principles of the Torah of monotheism and love for their fo- fellow man, and therefore, therefore, uh, right, that automatically, uh, growing up in a society that is based upon uh, some type of morals, and certainly morals of, of, of God himself, right, growing up in such a society definitely diminished the amount of people who, uh, who committed murder. So, therefore... Therefore, uh, it's, a successful, it's a successful system from the Jewish perspective. However, says Ramon, that, that's, that is one point. So therefore, you see, point number one is, is, that, is that the reason for capital punishment is to communicate to us that this is a terrible thing to do. Okay. Point number two is also found in Ramosha's responsa. He says like this, However, if it is the case that murder becomes Hufkar, in his words, if murder becomes something which is, uh, what's the word for it, I'm not sure, uh, murder becomes an everyday thing. It becomes, everybody does it. People kill for whatever reason they want. Um, And, and the rabbinical court sees that it's possible to deter, I don't want to argue with Harold, but it, they see that it is possible to deter. If it's either not possible, not possible. But if they see that it is possible to deter the murders by an institution of capital punishment, right? And we'll soon see it means without the details necessary to 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 to, to affect the capital punishment, then they should certainly do it. That's how Rav Moshe ends in his response. This is basically the basic position of Judaism on capital punishment. Okay, so uh, basically the Torah says it's permissible if the Jewish court says A-okay, right? It's absolutely determined that's like nearly impossible for it. Right. It, so basically from a Jewish standpoint, if you're really going to be truly like you know, correct by the Torah, uh, any capital punishment case has ever gone, really has ever occurred from, you know, most of history since the temple when the Sanhedrin has been in place has not been correct? Any capital punishment has not been... It, uh, no, it, it depends. It depends. If you're going to say it's from the... from the that we're trying to fulfill the requirements of, of what the Torah prescribes for capital punishment, then, then yeah, it's not even correct because all the details need to be play in place like we mentioned, right? For example... The Rambam himself in mitzvah number in the negative mitzvah number uh, two hundred and ninety says like this. He says, if you see a person chasing another person with a knife, and you run after them, and then they run into a room, and you run into the room after them, and the person that was being chased is lying on the ground dead, with blood coming out of their body, and the other person is holding a knife with the blood dripping on the knife. Says, says the Rambam, you're not allowed, the rabbinical court is not allowed to kill that person. Why? No, no testimony. No witnesses. Even though the guy is holding a smoking gun. Okay. So, I, I, it's like a three-part, because then I also wanted to say that <coughs> the only way you can have a Sanhedrin is with the king in place. And the, the, you need a base on maintenance. You need the temple to be functional so, for, yeah, this, for these purposes. It's only actually. So you, you can only, right. 
That's uh, the only way to do it. Let me, let me ask a question on that. So is there, has there been cases in Gomorrah where, where a capital punishment has been executed? Yes, there have been cases. There have been cases. Well, only in the, what do you mean? According to the rules of the Torah? Yeah. Yeah, take a look. In, in the book of Yeshua, Achan was executed. In this week's Pasha, the person was executed for transgressing the, transgressing the Shabbos. There are definitely cases all the time about people who were executed. Um, Is your opinion on non-Jewish courts like U.S. capital punishment or Canadian? So we're going to get to that. The Jewish, but the non-Jewish courts can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. One of the, 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 the seven mitzvahs of the, of, the, of the children of Noah is not to commit murder. There are seven mitzvahs, right? So there are seven mitzvahs. One of the seven mitzvahs is not to commit murder, okay? So the, uh, the Rambam holds one of the seven mitzvahs is, the, you know, it's Maimonides in his disagreement with the Rambam and Parshas Vayishlach, the Rambam holds that one of the seven mitzvahs that the uh, that they're commanded in is in this is in chapter in the laws of Malachim chapter nine law number fourteen one of this one of the one of the one of the seven mitzvahs that the non Jews are commanded in is to set up a court to enforce the other six okay and he doesn't say give them give details how they're going to enforce it but if a Jew is up for capital punishment they're not allowed to enact that who the non-Jewish government. Julius, the, uh, Julius and Ethel Rosen. I don't know. Are, are Jews and who? Ethel Rosen. They were... They, were, uh, they could do whatever they want. I mean, they could... They, they, they could kill. Do, what? First, espionage. They yeah. could kill. They could do whatever they want. To Jews as well? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's their prerogative. I don't know. You know, a Jew, uh, ideally, and a Jewish person is, is supposed to... A Jewish person is supposed to be tried by a Jewish court. But if a person commits espionage or endanger society, and they clearly uh, uh, transgress a law. Okay, we as Jews, you know, that's another ethical question which I, I'm not prepared to discuss. I'm really not supposed to, uh, uh, you know, give them away. Uh, if they're dangerous, they're dangerous. But if they're not dangerous, they just committed the crime, they're not supposed <coughs> to really give them away. But if they're caught, but they're non-Jews, so then, you know, they had their, their ample warning, and, and what are we supposed to do? Would everything else but death be in life? From whose perspective? From the Torah's perspective. For Jews or, or non-Jews? For, Jews. for the ideal set? For Jews. For Jews. Okay, so and here... So okay, so here like this. So the Rambam... So the Rambam says like this. The Rambam says in his laws of Rotech Shmir Sanefesh, in the laws of, of murderers and, 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 and the opposite, in, the, in chapter 2, the Rambam says, what happens if you have people who... Uh, what happens if you have people who... Um, if you have people who arrange for people to wind up on the bottom of the river, so to speak, you know, or people who kill people uh, indirectly, where they're not liable by the capital prescriptions of the Torah. So what do you do with these people? So the Rambam says in law number three, law number four, law number five, he says that it's the prerogative of the king or the rabbinical court to decide, if necessary, to incarcerate these people to punish them, to punish them to, in any way that they see fit in order to scare the ones who are on the outside and to, uh, to make them see, you know, if this happens to you, if, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. Furthermore, the Rambam even clarifies this even more in chapter 4 in law number 10. He says that if a person is a, is a serial killer, 
That's what it sounds like. In law number, sorry, in law number eight, he says, a horrible person. person is a serial killer if he kills people on a regular basis. Right? This is, uh, so the, the Rabbim says that then, if the, if the rabbinical court cannot kill him with one of the prescriptions of capital punishment, such as stoning, according to the laws of the Torah, then they can incarcerate and put him in jail and kill him a different way if they need to. They can use a different, uh, a, 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 a different way to kill a person if it's a serial killer. Right? And he, then the Rabbim elaborates, he waxes eloquent, he says, this is maybe a little bit not like, uh, not like Harold a little bit, uh, I, must, I must ask for forgiveness on this point, because the Rabbim clearly here says, maybe Harold will argue that if you do it the right way, it could be a deterrent. But the Rabbim here clearly says that, good, if a person is an idol worshiper, so if we have witnesses, we kill them. If we don't have witnesses, we don't kill them. We, they go home, they're out, circumstantial evidence, shalom. Right, you can go home to Shabbos and eat shalom. Right, that's it. However, if a person commits murder, if there are witnesses, we certainly kill them. But if there are no witnesses, we kill them anyway. Says the Rambam. Why? Because, because uh, it eats away at the fabric of society. A person who commits a crime, he says, that's idol worship. It's committing a crime against God. A person who commits a crime like murder is committing a crime against humanity. Eats away the fabric of society, makes the whole society depraved. So de- to, to deter such action, um, to deter such action, then the best is to take whatever action they want and employ whatever capital punishment they want. The rabbinical court can employ whatever capital punishment they want in order to, uh, in, 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 in order to stop this. That's what, that's what the Rambam says. So you could do it if you want to. The the Talmud tells us here the uh, the uh, the case of Mishnah on these on, on these Rambams tells us that the um, in in chapter two the the case of Mishnah there tells us that the it says in tractates on Adrian, on page forty six it says that you know there was one time a person was riding a horse on Shabbos in the days of the of the Greeks so since the Greeks were making decrees against the Jews not to keep mitzvahs, not to keep Shabbos, not to keep uh, um, circumcision, and not to learn Torah. And this guy was riding a horse, even though he was only transgressing a rabbinical prohibition. But in, 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 a, in a time of solidarity, when there was a, 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 a Goyesha government, there was a non-Jewish government that's trying to stop the keeping of the Torah, this guy is, is being... Uh, uh, is doing, saying, I'll do whatever you want. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep the Torah at all. He's making the, 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 the Torah light in the eyes of the Jews and the non-Jews. So they put him to death, this person, the rabbinical court. So it really depends. It really depends on the, what, what do you say of then? In 60 years, the state of Israel has executed only one person, I think. That's right. And what would you say, uh, reversals of, uh, death penalty? Recently, a man after 27 years in jail, was released because DNA evidence proved that he was not the murderer. What happens if we execute somebody and uh, that's an error? So this is what I say. This is what I say. I mean, the rabbinical court was great because we executed very few people. Like Eichmann was purely, uh, clearly a murderer. I'm going to now. I'm going to make now. I'm going to make a political statement. Now, until now, we talked about the law, the Jewish perspective on capital punishment. Now, I'm going to make a political statement. Fortunately, it's on my. It's not my own. Therefore, I can uh, put it on record. Okay. So here we go. The uh, the uh, the uh, United States uh, government did a study, okay, of, uh, did a study of the effect of capital punishment on, uh, on uh, people on death row, etc., right? 
And that's his government. So they found, for example, from 1988 to 1994, a total of 52 dependent, defendants. It says here in the study on page, statistical overview on page 6 of this study, right? Um, a total of 52 defendants were submitted by the United States attorneys under the department's former decision-making procedures. 52 defendants, okay? So out of those 52, 7 were white, 39 were black, 5 were Hispanic, and 1 was other. So therefore, the whites were 13%, the blacks were 75%, the Hispanic were 10%, and the other were only 2%. From 1995 to 2000, a total of 682 defendants were reviewed under the department's current death penalty decision-making procedures. Out of those 682 people, 134 were white, 34, 324 were black, 195 were Hispanic, and 29 were other. That means that white was 20%, black was 48%, Hispanic was 29%, and other was 4%. So the one thing that this study makes clear is, is that the minorities, <coughs> the minorities are the majority of people who are on death row. Now, that could be for one of two reasons. That could be for the simple reason that minorities Perform, perform more crimes than uh, the whites or the non-minorities would ever do, right? So therefore, they wind up on death row. That could be one reason. Another reason could be is that the system is unfair in its judgment towards minorities as opposed to uh, the, uh, the the majority whites, right? It could be that the court that the that the jury is filled with predominantly white people who are biased towards blacks, and that's why they are 75 to 48 percent in any pool of study on death row. That could be, that could be the reason. We don't know. We don't know whether the system is faulty or accurate. What? Yeah, I just think it's all of those. Huh? It's all of those. It could be either one of those, or maybe all of them. It could, you think it's all of them? <laughs> now, that's one thing. That's one thing. Number that's number one. Number two is even if we're going to say, even if we're going to say that the system is fair, even if we're going to say that the system is fair, who said that the actual uh, electric chair is 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 uh, is a good way to die? Who said that that's the best possible way to die? For example, right, the Talmud prescribes even if the person one of the, the even if the, if the witnesses are right and all the facts are right, and we do give a capital punishment. So the Talmud here says, the Talmud says, for example. Right, the Talmud says that how tall should be. So the way that we give the stoning is, the way that we give the stoning is, we put a person on a plank and we push them off, and if they don't die, then we throw stones on them. Right, that's the that's the way the stoning is done. So the Talmud asks, how high should the the plank be? So the Talmud says it should be the high the 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 height of three times the person's height. So the Talmud says, asks the question, do you really need? Three times the person's height. Uh, you know, if you if you drop them off from whatever it is, forty inches, uh, they'll also die. If you drop them off the right way, they'll also die if that happens. So, so the Talmud says, "What do you mean?" It, it says in the Torah in Parshas Kedoshim, it says it's the last expression. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, you have to make sure that the death penalty you give them, they die instantly. So the Talmud says, if that's the case, so then why make it three times high? Put them on top of the Empire State Building. Then the, the, the death will definitely be instant. 
So the Talmud says, no, because that's not going to be honorable. Because if they put them up too high, and then they fall down, they'll be crushed more than necessary. It's not going to be an honorable situation for them. Therefore, therefore, it has to be exact, right? That's what Talmud says. Then the, that's what Talmud says on page 45a. Then the Talmud says that, uh, the Talmud also says that when a person reaches, when a person gets to the, uh, uh, the Talmud says in page 46a, Talmud says that when a person gets close to the, uh, to the, to the, to the place of the skill, what do we do? We drug them up. We give them a drug. We give them a drug of, uh, of, um, mixed with wine. We give them, um, I think it's 46a. I don't see it at the moment. We give them a drug that's mixed, that's mixed with wine in order that they should, uh, lose their senses and not know what's happening to them. Really in order that they shouldn't be scared. Getting what? Before they get stoned, yeah. So we give them, we give them, uh, we give them a drug in order that they should uh, not be aware of what's going on at that point. Because it's going to be, it's obviously not going to be, a, I mean, I don't mean to be facetious, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Right? <laughs> Yeah, page 44, sorry, 43a. We give them, we give them a little bit of uh, frankincense together with wine. In order that, she's the Torah of Daito, Rashi explains, in order that they shouldn't worry and wonder about their own death. <laughs> okay. the Mishnah says today about this more portion, and they mention other forms of death punishment. One, which is considered very terrible, is burning. They actually burn people, I put only the, uh, None Jews did that. And, 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 um, there's two and, types of... And, and there was another form of death, which was death by strangulation, which, cons- which was considered an easier death than having somebody burned. Um, I really wasn't planning on getting into the details. I just had supper. I just had supper. I wasn't planning on getting into the details. But if everybody doesn't mind, I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to explain what, what, that, what that is. But yeah, it's true. I mean, death is not pleasant either way. You know, whichever way it goes, it's not pleasant. So, so from the perspective of the, the, the Torah, you see from these sources of the Talmud that we try to expedite the process as, as, as best possible. But yeah, that could be a, that's a discussion of how the proper way to do it. But something which is prescribed by the oral law, such as burning, and burning is not you don't put twigs around the person and, and, and burn them like you, you know they did burn them at the stake. That's not the way it happened. But uh, then, then that's what the Torah says. But it has to be done properly, like you know, as far as the stoning, it has to be done as fast as possible. The Supreme Court just decided on cruel and unusual punishment, and although I'm not really that pro on the death penalty, I, I think most of these murderers weren't too worried when they killed the people that they murdered, and I think they, uh, this business cruel and unusual punishment, I, I didn't think it was a valid... Uh, I mean, we can debate that. This is already not the Torah. We can debate that, because, I mean, are you going to pluck out the person's nails one by one also, just because they weren't kind to the person that they killed? I mean... How are you going to torture them before you kill them? At, at which point are you willing to? At a certain point, are you willing to say that it's going to be cruel and unusual? I mean, let me just be crude. What happens if well, we okay. chop off their arms before we well, put them in an electric chair? Is that going to be what? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, at a certain point, it is cruel and unusual. It is cruel and unusual, even for a murderer. I mean, bottom line is, we're killing the guy. So fine. But uh, at a certain point, we have to be compassionate. The problem is that the one killing the killer becomes cruel. 
But that's, I think that's what Harold is pointing out. That's what Harold's pointing talking about, the killer, killing the killer. Harold is saying that the killer wasn't compassionate, so why should we be compassionate to him? Well, but I'm saying that the, the executioner becomes cruel if he is cruel to the killer. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah, then, then he becomes similar to the killer. So, yeah, that's true. That's a separate discussion, but that's true. That is a separate discussion. It's true. Um, the Torah actually addresses that in Parsha uh, Shoftim, but we, 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 just, we just simply We're don't have time there. there. We're not going to go there. But uh, yeah, it, basically, to suffice it to say, if one does the right thing, then God will protect him. If a person does a mitzvah, then, the, 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 then God will protect him. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do that mitzvah. This is the official statement from the Institute of Public Affairs from the Orthodox Union, okay, uh, published on June ter- uh, 13, 2000. Okay, and I quote, Today, the, United, the Union of Orthodox Jewish Congregations of America, the nation's Orthodox, largest Orthodox Jewish umbrella organization representing nearly 1,000 synagogues nationwide, announced its support for efforts to impose a nationwide moratorium on executions of death row uh, inmates while a comprehensive review of how the death penalty is administered in America's courts is undertaking. Is, uh, is undertaken. In explaining last night's decision by the union's senior officers and directors, the organization's president, Mendel uh, Gentro, and public <laughs> policy director, Nathan Dement, who is the public policy director of the OU, issued the following statement. While traditional Judaism clearly contemplates and condones the death penalty as the ultimate sanction within a legitimate legal system, Judaism simultaneously insists the capital punishment be administered by a process that ensures accuracy as well as justice. Our valuing of human life as infinite demands no less. In recent months, too many questions have been raised as to whether in America's courts the demand for accuracy is being met. These questions must be answered and, appro- and appropriate corrective measures must be put in place before we can proceed with additional executions in this country. Thus, we support putting an execution moratorium in place and the creation of a commission to review America's death penalty procedures and any reforms needed to ensure that our justice system lives up to that name. And I subscribe to this. The Jewish point of view of the death penalty is, is that it is sanctioned and it is proper and it is deserving for the crimes that the Torah enumerates and the way that it is, it is being given out. However, if it is the case that the justice system is improper, partial, or too cruel and unusual, then of course Judaism does not support that. Judaism supports the letter of the law that it should be done in the way that God prescribes. But we are against the position that one should not take the uh, one should not one should not take away somebody else's life. You could you could take away if if it is so then then you know that's the that's their decision. People have Hashem gave people free will and they can choose and decide to live or to do the opposite. Okay, that's what I wanted to share with everybody this evening. Thank you. Have a good Shabbos.